HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're bringing you four stories about lost and found culinary treasures. We are searching for what will be lost, and we're trying to rejuvenate it. What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve them for the future. It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just, it's, there's nothing like it. You know, there's, there's nothing like it. When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. On this very special episode, we dig into Stagecoach and Coachella with Golden Voices Nick Adler and Lizzie Stadler. We talk about this year's culinary offerings, the secret bars hidden at the festivals, and Guy Fieri's barbecue festivities. Then we go deep, deep, deep. I'm talking deep into the archives to bring you a blood orange performance in celebration of his Coachella appearance at this year's fest. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And one note, we did this as a call-in. I apologize for the feedback and for the echo in my voice, but it's all great. So enjoy. We talk about food. About music with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
Hello and welcome to Hello, the Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. If you have had a wood-fired pizza or an artisanal taco at a festival in the last few years, you have our two following guests today, Nick and Lizzie. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Hi. Thanks for having us. So we are days after the festival. How are you guys doing? How, how is the food set up looking? What are these last few days like in preparing for feeding hundreds of thousands of people? Uh, you know, a lot of it is just getting ready and prep. Uh, you know, the last couple of days have actually been a little bit slower only because we don't have any restaurants on site, and they start coming in today. Um, so... As a lot of the site, a lot of the site ends up calming down. Uh, we tend to get much busier as we get closer to site. So a lot of our builds are in their final stages, making sure power, water, and all of that is in place. And then, uh, you know, starting this afternoon, we're going to start to see uh, hundreds of uh, restaurants start showing up on site. So. So people know what a backstage feels like at a restaurant, at a festival, at a festival. the VIP area, the artist lounge. What does backstage um, the food vendors feel like at Coachella and stagecoach? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I definitely wouldn't want to hang out there. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's like any busy kitchen, uh, you know, uh, that that you've ever happened to walk through or peek in the back of. You've got grills. Hundreds of grills going, fryers, you know, everybody's back there cooking. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's quite busy back there. Yeah, it's not, uh, and, and it's, and, and, it, and, you know, we're out, you know, people have to kind of make their kitchen. So not every kitchen is the same. Some people uh, are overly organized and, and haven't really set up in a, uh, you know, in a, in a very specific way, and then other people are not as organized. So, you know, we're there to kind of help guide people and help them. But, uh, you know, there's there's some common areas back there, which is cool. To uh, As we get through a couple days and people figure out their operation, you start to see the chefs hanging with each other, uh, sharing food, uh, talking about recipes. So, you know, I think for Lizzie and I, that's one of our favorite parts of this is really to see that that community come together one of my, one of my favorite, things favorite things that's happening this year in the koji village which is celebrating 10 years of roy choi how did that happen did what's that going happen? on there what can people expect yeah so Co I, I i believe it's kogi town is that right yeah it's the kogi town drive-in sort of theme to it um yeah and he's you know featuring his restaurant, so Kogi and Shago, um, you know, and so we we wanted to do something to highlight Roy since he's been with us for he's he's been, you know, the original yep. out at Coachella. So we wanted to highlight mm -hmm. him in such a special mm -hmm. way this year. And he he really, you know, I've had a chance to talk with Roy a couple times over the last few weeks and uh, he really as he did for LA um, you know, and I, I give him that, those props that he really helped shift the way that we look at food and we eat food in L.A. Um, at a time where most people thought L.A. had the worst food in the country. 
um, and in came the Kogi truck and uh, really started a huge shift. Uh, the same goes for um, the same goes for Coachella, uh, where there was not a brand name on the field before the Kogi truck showed up. It was pizza, taco, burger, and then there's this food truck that says Kogi on it. And him coming in and, and, and being that, that kind of first for us uh, ended up making it easier when I came in five years later and started to transform our food program. Um, it really started with Roy. So being able to do something uh, on his 10th anniversary, um, creating Kogi Town, highlighting his different restaurants. Um, they have something that's cold and creamy and fruity that's a really cool surprise. Um, they're working with a cool company um, that I'm not going to ruin that surprise, but I know that Lizzie and I are excited about that. And, uh, you know, just gave them a, a little bit different of a look, something that stands out um, and something that shows that uh, we, we really respect and look at Roy in a, in a, in a different way. You guys really are you a big champion really are a big of the LA food uh, scene, especially LA some of the new players in town. You have Cundy, you have Friedman. How do you pick the new guys the new and girls to come out, to come out mixed with the, mixed the old tried and true staples of the current Coachella food scene? I'll let Lizzie answer that question because, to be honest, uh, as the resident vegan, you know, I, I I eat a lot with my eyes, but I think Lizzie gets to get out there and uh, really gets to try some of this stuff and makes a lot of the dis the decisions lately on uh, the direction of the curation. So, Lizzie, how, how do you do it? Um, so, you know, I really listen to a lot of I, – I get a lot of feedback from new restaurants to try. So, you know, on my time off, I'm kind of eating my way through the city, which isn't good for my waistline. Um, but, you know, I'll go and try these places, you know, recommended to me. And, you know, places like Combi and Friedman's, they're so amazing that when I try something like that, I, you know, I go to Nick and I say, we got to have this out at Coachella. So really it's just going around the city and trying all these places recommended, whether it's a chef. That, that has been in, the, in our, you know, circuit for a while telling me that I got to check out this place or, you know, friends or coworkers that tell me that I have to check out these places. Um, that's really how I, how I go about choosing what, what we put out here. And a lot of the food program that we actually have now um, was, was built off of the chefs that came before it. So when we were in year one, um, you know, we had really a handful of restaurants, and then um, the only way to get more restaurants or get, you know, restaurateurs or owners to come out to the desert was to put them in touch with someone who had done it the year before. And, and that goes back to talking about that community um, that I was talking about is it's really the other, it's the other chefs that really help us and give confidence to somebody to say, okay, I'm going to pack up my kitchen and come out to the desert and, and, and take the risk of serving food out there. Uh, and it is a risk, you know what I mean? It's like, do, 
we can give all the direction in the world, but we don't always know if someone's going to like something or something's going to be a hit or something's going to be a flop. Um, you know, I would say this year when Adam Sobel told Lizzie and I that he was doing pizza bagels, uh, I think both of us, you know, maybe, I don't want to say we didn't get it, but we're like, mm, we're not sure about those pizza bagels. And then now everybody's talking about pizza bagels. So, you know, it's not always what, what we think is cool. Um, the, the chefs take risks, and, and sometimes they hit it, and sometimes they don't. I mean, I'm excited for me to go in the desert. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in addition to these more grab-and-go, high-end foods, like the pizza bagel, the pastrami you guys also are doing fine dining in the desert, both with outstanding meals we've ever before, and then also two of my favorite brothers, the Stone Brothers from the Gwen Papa. Can you talk a little bit about these more high-end dining experiences and how they fit into the festival this year? Yes. One of our, uh, one of our goals with the food program, whether it was through the actual food you were eating or the experience around the food, was allowing you to leave the festival for a moment, you know, even just for a bite, to where you, you know, maybe you're at Casanori and you just sat down and you ordered a, a hand roll and it's that first bite and something magical happens where maybe you close your eyes or you just go somewhere else for a minute and then it's the re-entry that you know, I always try to go for where you come back to the festival and you're like, whoa, I just had something that I like and, and, and it's familiar to me and it makes me feel a certain way and I'm not used to having it in this environment. And so whether it is a Casanori or, or a Gwen sit-down restaurant um, with, or an outstanding in the field, those are all moments where you forget where you are for a minute. And it, it, we're not trying to take people away from Coachella. We're trying to reintroduce them to Coachella when they come back from that experience. And whether that's the, the Tiki Bar that we had last year where you go into the tiki bar and you kind of lose yourself for 10, 15 minutes while you have a drink, and you, you almost forget where you are, and then you step back outside and you're like, whoa, like, I'm at Coachella? And, uh, and, and that's something we've tried to do with, with the fine, the, you know, the, our, our more fine dining options is, is give someone an unexpected experience that makes them lose their self uh, for, for just a moment. And, um, you know, working with Outstanding in the Field has been uh, a, a great relationship. It allows us to grab great chefs um, and bring them out to the desert. And they don't have to worry about much. You know, that, that's the great thing with working with an Outstanding in the Field is that they really take any chefs that we give them and they provide the infrastructure and the front of house and all the comforts that a, that a chef would want. Um, and, and, and we don't have to do a lot of the work on that, you know. So, so that relationship has been great for us. And people sitting down at a table for, uh, you know, an hour, hour and 30 minutes, having uh, three to four different wines, 
uh, four courses, uh, welcome cocktail, sitting across from people they don't know, making lifelong relationships, and then getting up from that table and going and watching Tame Impala uh, is, is an unexpected experience. And it just, for some reason, makes the food taste better and, and someone's experience at Coachella is better. Before we go to break, can you offer one tip on how to find any of the secret bars this year? No. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, we're going to take a quick musical break. We're a song from the archive, and we're going to come back and talk about the food at Stagecoach with Nick and Lizzie here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio.
Hello and welcome back Hello, to Snappy Tunes. I am with Nick and Lizzie. We are talking about the start of the festival season or really the first festival season. So Coachella and Stagecoach have different vibes from everything from the music to people and especially the food and drink. For people who may be less familiar with Stagecoach, how would you sum up the food and drink experience at that festival? I... I believe that we might have more potential for a great food festival and experience at Stagecoach than we do at Coachella, uh, which is hard for me to say because, uh, you know, we work so hard on the Coachella food program and it, and it, and it just fits so well. Um, but we also, that took us five years to kind of figure out that operation and what works and what doesn't. Um, uh, purposely, Lizzie and I did not engage in the stagecoach uh, food experience until we really understood what that crowd wanted. And I think we we get that now. And, and we needed someone like, uh, um, you know, Guy Fieri to... Not so much, we didn't need him to curate the, the, although he's helped tremendously with that, and we didn't need him to show us the experience, but we needed some, someone to be able to, to tell the crowd, hey, we got good food here. And while there's always been solid barbecue and um, pretty good food on the field, um, now there's a focus on it. And through Guy and his, you know, uh, the huge megaphone, um, we now have the ability to build this this program that people are actually going to engage with. And that's one of the big, you know, part of our job is, is picking food vendors and, and the production of it and getting them here. But the, the other one is, is getting the festival goer to get into the mindset that food is part of the experience. Year one, Coachella, we couldn't get people to uh, focus on the food. Um, and, and so uh, the same thing for Stagecoach, um, you know, if we would have introduced food at Stagecoach, it just, we wouldn't have gotten the traction um, that we've gotten uh, with, without someone like Guy. And so now we can, there was already a barbecue contest at Stagecoach that's been, it's actually the, it was, the longest-running barbecue contest in the Western United States, which to me sounds crazy, um, but nobody ever knew about it. And uh, so now that there's focus on it, we could elevate those barbecue vendors. We can make sure that we're curating the right cocktail and drinking experiences. And, and Lizzie's come in and, and done a lot of the work on this, and uh, worked with Guy's team and uh, really curated a great lineup of pitmasters and, 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 and barbecue restaurants. So, Lizzie, maybe you could tell them a little bit about it. Yeah, and to add to that, it's, it's amazing. It took us, uh, you know, probably I'd say three to four years to build our Coachella food program to what it is now. And Stagecoach, you know, like Nick said, last year was our first year really focusing on the food and bringing in some really, uh, you know, high-end restaurants. 
this year it's amazing to see, you know, I get, I get an abundance of emails from restaurants that want to participate. And now I'm kind of like, well, we don't have the space, which is a, you know, it's a good, it's a problem, but it's a good problem to have. And, you know, year two of Coachella, it was like we were struggling to convince restaurants yeah. to come out. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, so some of the, some of the big ones that we have coming out are Pat Martin, Adam Perry Lang, the Fox Bros, um, Chuck Frommer of John Mall's Meat. Um, so we really have a good, good variety of pitmasters coming out. And we, then, yeah, and, and one of the cool things about, uh, doing this is that a lot of this food, uh, like the music, centers around Nashville. And so we, uh, we, we did a, a, you know, a trip out to Nashville, Lizzie and I, and, you know, got, got to understand what was happening, happening there in the food scene, um, kind of this shift from maybe uh, a more traditional barbecue and, and, and you know, Amer American food center to, uh, you know, we got to go to Sean Brock's place, and, and we're starting to see this shift to fine dining in Nashville as well. And so, you know, we want to find that nice mix between something that people really recognize and also give the, those options of a, a, a finer experience. Um, but out there, we also got to go kind of East Nashville, and uh, we went to a, a Mas Taco, which is kind of the underground of the, the scene out there, and just a, a tremendous taco, really... Um, for us, we love we love tacos, burritos, anything you can hold in your hand. And I think traditionally, uh, Stagecoach has been more of a plate-type festival, um, which really lends itself to only one meal uh, a day. Uh, you have to find a place to sit down. And what we've learned at Coachella and to our other festivals, we really got to make the food mobile and maybe a little bit smaller. And so something like a taco... Um, it has been really successful for us. So, you know, we were excited to just kind of go out to Nashville, check out as many places as possible, meet with some of the owners, see what what they're looking for, if they want to make the trip all the way out to California. And so I, I think we'll probably be doing that every year moving forward and, and getting more of the Nashville scene and, and then and probably move on to, to Kansas City and, and some of those other cities out there that are so well known for um, – you know, uh, American-inspired um, food, barbecue, uh, diner culture, and trying to get more of those to come out to Stagecoach. You also have a charity, element, a charity element with Operation Barbecue Relief. Can you talk about working with them and the importance of having a food-driven charity on site at Stagecoach? Yeah, that really comes from our relationship with Guy and his team. And, and if you know anything about Guy, um, you know his hair and his, his glasses and maybe some flame print. Um, but you also know that every time that there is uh, people that are in need, you will see Guy and his team in Operation Barbecue there, um, whether it's a flood or a fire. Um, he's showing up there with his rigs and his team, um, and they're out there feeding people that are uh, in, a, in, a, in a tough situation. And that was really something that was um, brought to us by Guy. And, and really, not that we didn't want to do it, but it was an ask 
from his team, how can we support Operation Barbecue? Um, not only are they helping people and the money goes to helping people, but they are a bunch of talent, talented chefs um, that are part of that team. So when they asked, they said, hey, how, how can we get Operation Barbecue involved? And this actually started last year. Um, we we kind of just said, you tell us. Um, and what's so great is that that is a team that is used to feeding a lot of people. And that's something that we always are looking for when we're going after restaurants and, and, and vendors is it's great that you have amazing food and you've got great flavor, um, but can you serve the people? And uh, so it was kind of a perfect match for us um, to be able to work with them. And also they have been pretty instrumental um, in helping us kind of for this year understand all the pitmasters barbecue needs, um, you know, as well as assisting with some other restaurants on site. Um, so, you know, they've been super, super helpful in helping us understand the barbecue world because that's a whole different ballgame in itself. Yeah, I mean, uh, being vegan, I, I, I put a couple Weber barbecues out there and thought we were all set. <laughs> and, then, and then I quickly find out that I was incorrect. Uh, we worked with Postmates this year, both as stagecoach and Coachella. Can you talk about how technology is shifting the culinary experience at both festivals? Yeah, I think that for us, this might be one of the bigger initiatives that we've taken in the food space. Um, I... Uh, I don't think it's going to change the way the food tastes. It's not going to be. It's not going to change the actual eating experience. It's going to change how long you wait for you, your food, uh, how you make decisions of what you're going to eat. Um, typically, uh, when you come to Coachella, you're scanning food booths uh, with your eyes, and you're you're looking across. You're walking the fields. You're trying to figure out what you want. Um, now that is an app-driven experience when it comes to Postmates. So that's sitting down on the grass, opening up your phone, looking at pictures, seeing what other people are eating, and then pressing a button and, and going into a menu, uh, figuring out what you want, paying for it there on your phone, getting up and going and watching a band, and then getting a notifi notification that your food is ready for pickup. Uh, it, it really frees you up. I mean, uh, I don't think there's any problem with waiting in lines, um, but, but one, not everybody likes to wait in lines, um, and two, uh, it, it, it's going to help free up some of the lines for other people that don't mind waiting in line, um, but it, it also allows you as the individual to have a little bit more freedom. You're not basing your decision to eat on how big a line is. You're really basing it on when when you want to do something. So we think in, in that aspect that the Postmates um, is offering, uh, uh, and, and us, you know, in partnership with Postmates, is offering a really um, game-changing experience. Uh, you know, it, it's on us in the operation side to make sure that that, that, that goes smoothly and that works. Um, again, it's a... Uh, it's a new experience. Um, it's a new operation for us. 
um, but we think that this is probably um, the beginning of a, of a big shift in, in festival food culture of uh, being able to go onto an app and order your food and picking it up um, and ordering and picking it up at your leisure and not based on if there's a line or not. Um, you know, and as, as festivals get bigger, they end up losing, um, you know, linear feet on the edges because we want to put another music tent in or, or there's a sponsor or some kind of activation. That's only going to take away, someone has to, has to move off of that space, um, which then allows us to take things like food and beverage and put them back a house and, uh, and move to towards an app. So we end up probably having more options. Um, for example, in VIP, we have a hundred more feet of food that never existed in VIP because we put the Postmates kitchen. So that means that's 10 more restaurants with probably three items each. Let's call it 30 more items that are available to you this year than last year in VIP. Um, that's significant. That's a that's a really big increase, and I think that's just going to go to giving people m more options and uh, and more time. Awesome. Well, Nick, awesome. Lizzie, well, Nick congratulations on everything. I cannot wait to see all the food and drink coming out of the festival this year. Where can people Where check can people out the food out and drinks online, or what's the best, or the one best tip for people who go how to experience it? I think our Coachella app um, is, is super detailed. It has the location of everything. It has the menus. It has the ability to uh, uh, almost Yelp within there. So, you, you know, we get great data and we're able to push people to new things that, that maybe we didn't even know that people were going to be into. So um, even if you're not at the festival, you can download the Coachella app. There's a ton of information in there. Coachella and Stagecoach. Oh, and Stagecoach. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you guys awesome. so much. Thank you guys so much. We have another song from the archives and then a classic vintage performance from Blood Orange in honor of his appearance at Coachella this year. You'll sing the Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. All right, that's it, guys. Thank you. Thank you, as always. Yes, thank you, guys, and have a great, great next month, and I hope to see you guys soon.
Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House, and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lilypool Terrace. Executive chef Morgan Jarrett's unique menu offers warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish. Are you enjoying our podcast? Heritage Radio Network has lots more. I'm Ethan Frisch. And I'm Jenny Dorsey. And together we host Why Food, a podcast about innovators, career changers, and entrepreneurs who are changing the face of food. How did these folks decide to hit the brakes, start over, and become inspiring chefs, entrepreneurs, farmers, and activists they are today? Browse episodes of Why Food wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, you're listening to Snacky Tunes. That was just a quick three set of our CMJ favorites. That was First Aid Kit covering uh, Fever Rays when I grow up. Before that was Baths, as in I'm taking a bath, Animals, and then Royal Bangs, uh, New Scissors. Uh, three bands you should check out. All good stuff from CMJ. Uh, in studio with us is the wonderful Dev Hines of uh, Blood Orange and Lightspeed Champion. Dev, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, ha- you you are really uh, enjoying that pizza. Oh my god, I just kind of destroyed like two thirds of it in a second. <laughs> so uh, you know, we know you from Lightspeed Champion from being on dinner with the band. Yeah, and uh, we made some delicious uh, falafel, falafel and hummus. <laughs> yeah, um, and. Do you, how do you do Muharama? That was it. <laughs> uh, but now you're, in, you're starting a new side project, uh, Blood Orange. Why don't you tell us about that project? Yeah, it's, um, it kind of it actually started, I guess, uh, just over a couple years ago. Um, I was just kind of, I'm always writing songs at home, and I just started writing songs for like pop artists and stuff. And, uh, I'd, and on a side note, I had like a weird throat operation where I was kind of working out my voice and stuff and just end up writing these um songs I guess are kind of more influenced by like uh like kind of 80s soul and uh kind of funk and pop that I've always listened to um so yeah and then I've 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 been writing doing a ton of songs and then I've actually done an album now and uh kind of finished mixing and mastering it and what's the name of the album uh, it's called Coastal Grooves, I think. You think? <laughs> well, I had that name. I have names, like, so far in advance, it's kind of silly. So I came up with that name, like, a couple years ago when I misread a Tropicana bottle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what did it actually turn out to be? Uh, Coastal Groves. <laughs> oh. Very, that's, that's very, usually very funky I, orange juice. That's usually how I come up with names for anything, just mishair and stuff. Uh, so how is this going to be different than your Lightspeed Champion stuff? It's, um, I feel like it's a lot more direct. Like, it's kind of, uh, you kind of, the songs are, I don't, I don't want to say simple, but there, there's a simplicity to it, for, which is kind of taken from, like, from a songwriting aspect, which is taken from, like, uh, I guess, the pop music that I've always loved, you know, and um, it's kind of upbeat, and it's kind of, like, dancey as well, but... I know, Lightspeed stuff is pretty... I always feel like it's... 
I always feel like it's like a, a mass of wires that you can't be bothered to fix. <laughs> That's how I always view Lightspeed. Like, I don't know, like everything's connected and everything is working like good. But then, you know, you gotta like sort it out and untangle stuff. And, and this is more like the a good adapter that just works fine. Okay. Alright, well let's uh <laughs> let's hear a song. Let's hear what are we gonna hear first? Um we're gonna hear a song called Bad Girls, which um actually wrote a few a few weeks ago and um um I recorded a version and incidentally there's a, a version recorded for with uh, Solange Knowles for for her album. That's awesome. Um yeah it's just gonna be it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be a good record, I think. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, so, uh, all right, so this is Blood Orange live on Snacky Tunes. Uh, here we go. I should say I've never, actually, ever even played or sung this out loud before. <laughs> yeah. Same. It's stupid thinking that 
my game. Tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. Thanks. <coughs> Very yeah, nice. I should have warned my voice up a little. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's going to be on the new album as well? Um, no, it's actually not. Yeah, because I, I finished the album so long ago. But um, I made, I played a show recently and I, I made a, um, like a, I guess like a bootleg kind of CD of a bunch of songs I've done since finishing the album. And I was just kind of handing them out so people see me. Give them a copy. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like it's like ten songs I did since the album, which just exist. You know, so I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> so being on the road a lot, as you are, uh, and also having a <clears throat> famous fruit, if you will, or mis- mystical fruit as your new <laughs> project. What do you like to eat when you're out on the road or out on tour? Um, it's funny, you know, because it depends where you are. If you're in England, for example, the best bet is uh, a store called Marks and Spencers. Oh yeah, which is oh, yeah. kind of which is actually I used to work there when oh, I was really? growing up. My dad was one of was a manager in a local store, <laughs> so I spent a lot of my childhood in Marks and Spencers. But it is probably the best place to go because you just the quality of the like instant food there is so much better than. Everywhere else, yeah, it's like Dean DeLuca's here. Yeah, in New York. exactly. Yeah. And you know, England's a tricky place for food. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to say the least. Like it's, you know, it's funny. Like I always, I remember when I moved here, and I'd always say to people how like when people say a place isn't good or they didn't have a good meal in New York, I feel like that means that they didn't really enjoy it that much. Whereas in England, that means that you had a severe case of poisoning. And, you know, <laughs> it was, like, completely, like, unedible and, you know, and so that's a, it's a big difference there. But, you know, in Europe, it's cool because you can kind of experiment, you know, because there's so many places in Europe that uh, really do love their food. And people are usually excited if you talk to them about sharing that with you. Now, you've changed your uh, dietary habits quite a few times, since, even since I've known you. Yeah, I But you I, said I growing up, you, you, you had like a, a, not a great stomach, but yeah. then you came to America and you changed. Can you talk about the different type of foods you've eaten throughout your life? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah I guess growing up, um, yeah, I had like a, a really uh, intense like stomach issue where 
I kind of missed a lot, a lot of school where I was just like off sick and stuff. And so I had, at that point, I actually had to cut out like uh, gluten, lactose, and a t- yeah, you know, a ton of other stuff, fizzy drinks, didn't drink alcohol, etc., spicy foods. And then um, I've kind of, uh, I guess, warmed my stomach up <laughs> over the last like 10 years or so. And um, coming to New York, I just kind of, well, you know, being in England, I just kind of, uh, I love food, but it's it, it was it's difficult especially if you have like a bad stomach to eat what is good for you whilst being in London. Right. You know, and then, so coming to New York, it was kind of like a, like, Oh my God. Wow. There's so much food that can, I can eat and it's not, weird you know because a lot of stuff is seen as weird in london food wise such as um well for example i guess like a, a pizza with no cheese <laughs> since we're at roberta's right now right it seems weird but um i don't they're not as accustomed to changing towards your dietary needs is right what i should say where in new york especially people go here's i know you have eight items in this i only want four yeah and i can add two more in <laughs> exactly <laughs> Yeah, and you know, and some people, some places like like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's cool, but um, yeah. Since being here, I guess I've been. I don't know what I've been eating. Well, I actually hadn't eaten beef for thirteen years of my life, and then you came here, and then I came here, and that all went out the window. What I, did you, What was your first beef meal? Um, I think it was Dumont Burger. <laughs> Not a bad place, you know. Uh, to, that, to, that's a that's a. Big meal for your first beef. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, Dumont Burger is probably the the champion of Bedford giant burgers, giant burgers yeah. uh, and their their bloody marys and onion rings is enough to <laughs> put you back on your couch for quite the afternoon. Oh my god, it really does. Um, it was, but then um, you know, I started experimenting with. It's funny you're talking about Thai food because I really love. Thai food, and I'm really interested about these restaurants that are opening. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah. All right, we'll tell you play another song. Yeah, sure. What are you going to play? Which um, which incarnation of yourself are you going to represent right now? I think I might play uh, a new Lightspeed song. Great. Um, I did a while ago. I have to like have my laptop on my lap because I don't know the lyrics. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so, <laughs> so give me a here. second. Yeah. So wait to that. So you're listening to Lightspeed Champion on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, big big shout out to. Um, fairway uh, for all your culinary and restaurant needs fairy market red hook other great locations at the city big shout out to always as roberta's and oh and uh to uh the man at the helm of all this uh patrick for being in bon appetit this month check out his profile on himself and him explaining why 140 dollar turkey is what needs to be on your table this coming thanksgiving uh dev you good Give me one more second. Okay, I need one more second. All right, Jack Inslee, Rectech, thank you so much. I'm Fergie on the Pulse. Big shout out to Amanda from Eater and all the Eater people. And Eater Awards, don't forget to vote. Um, oh, Amanda, where can you vote for the awards? Um, is this oh, yeah. yeah. Um, we're going to start the voting either late this afternoon or early tomorrow. So go to eater.com and all of our regional sites to vote. Awesome. Thanks. Okay, great. Okay, um, I changed my mind. I'm gonna do uh, Blood Orange song. Okay, great. From the album. Okay, great. So here we go. Dev as Blood Orange here live on Snacky Tunes. Mm-hmm. 
Wake up, tasty trees. Your quilts are incomplete. Love will stay in bed. Ambivalence, your head. Distance into brief. This mongrel lost his keys. Owner set me free. So the ocean cleans my feet. Please, this can't be true. Oh, don't be my undone. Mother sure will cry when she sees our spark has died. Chapel on the hill, the freeway on to will. Wedding clothes all gone. My Cadillac won't run. Tasty treats, your quilts are incomplete. Mother sure will cry when she sees our spark has died. Chapel on the hill, the freeway on to Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10 year anniversary celebrationing happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. 
and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.